Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Nathan Harris. I am the lead pastor here at Celebration Center, for those of you who don't know me. And I just really want to thank you all for joining us, whether you're a regular attender or you're a guest watching us for the first time, being part of our service for the first time this morning. And, you know, my desire, and I know the desire of all of us here at Celebration Center is that uh, you all be able to connect with Jesus. That's what we're here for, to help people get connected to Jesus. And one of the ways that we can do that, that we can assist you in that, is if you contact us. If you let us know what it is or how it is that we can serve you and, and help you. So whether that's a prayer request or maybe there's a, a, a physical need that you have or maybe you're just wanting more information about stuff, utilize our Connect With Us online form. Uh, if you're watching online, you can do that. There's the tab up at the top there that you can hit and, and you can go and fill that out. But if you're not watching live, if you're just watching through YouTube or you're listening to the sermon podcast, uh, I encourage you go to our website, ccpwallop.com, and you can connect with us that way through the tab there. Well, this morning we are uh, continuing our series called The New Normal. Last week we began this series. And in this series, we are looking at what has become known as the Sermon on the Mount. This is one of the most famous uh, passages. It's three chapters, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Uh, one of the most famous passages in the New Testament where Jesus is doing a lot of talking. He is teaching. He is taking the role of a teacher. He is, he is saying, hey, there is a new way of living because of what God has done. Now, as we talked about last week, when we hear these words, new normal, we tend to think about some unwanted or at least very jarring new reality. A reality experienced when a, an unwanted health issue comes up. Or maybe you lose a job or your job is suddenly changed and you weren't expecting it. And so the way life was is now different. Or, or maybe a baby, you, you hear about a baby is going to be born and you know, oh my goodness, I've got to get a car seat. I've got to maybe change the way I drive. I've got to be a little bit more de defensive in my driving or, and I've got to be more safety conscious and you know, all these kinds of things. And we begin to think about the way life is going to be moving forward. There is a new normal. Life is different from the way it was. Sometimes it's, we consider it as being better. Sometimes we think it's worse, but no matter how you look at it, it's different. The Gospel of Matthew presents the arrival of Jesus as signaling this very kind of change. What was reality will and forever be different. It will be different because the arrival of Jesus signals that God is fulfilling his promise to have mercy on Israel, on his chosen people Israel, and, and to uh, bring wholeness really to the entire world, not just to Israel, but to all of the world. The, the Bible is full of this language of God restoring all of humanity, whether they're Jews or not. And in effect... Uh, and in fact, excuse me, affecting change and bringing newness to all of creation so that the very world is changed. The physical world is changed to become what God has always intended it to be. And he is going, he's accomplishing this. The, when Jesus comes, it is, he signals that he is accomplishing this through Jesus. So that 
where there was once separation between heaven and earth, where once humans and God were, were separated because of sin and, and because of rebellion, now through Jesus Christ, they are brought to overlap forever and always, and there will no longer be any separation. You guys, this is the gospel. This is good news. And last week, we saw how Jesus says to the disciples, to his, his learners, the, the followers, in the opening part of the Sermon on the Mount, we saw how this opening statement was not a list of ethical requirements for his disciples to live up to in order to become part of Jesus's program or part of his family. The things that Jesus spoke to them that we read last week were a list, kind of a anybody, anybody who wants to join can come in. It's a little bit like John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes will not perish but have eternal life. They'll be able to be in on God's kingdom. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, blessed anyone who is poor in spirit because I am here. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed is anyone who mourns. Why? Because I am here. I'm available. I am signaling God's uh, start of new creation here and now because I am in your midst. If you are in me, then you are blessed. And it, he opens it wide up to everyone. And Jesus described the blessed life as belonging to people who in their weakness, to anyone who in their weakness, inability, and need are found in Jesus through all situations. Their blessing is because of Jesus, not because of things they've earned or th that they've somehow put God in their debt as though God could possibly owe them anything. So where we landed in all of this last week was that we need to remain in Jesus. And we talked about three practices to help us to remain in Jesus. We talked about thankfulness and confession and prayer and how these things, they, they force us into a life of humility that is directed toward God. Now, we're going to talk more about these three practices this week. I'm going to land on them again, not because they're magical, but because they are tools that help us along in this new normal that Jesus is talking about. We need to be rooted in these things, not as, not as a box to check off or as something that, we, that again, we, we uh, do enough that we accumulate uh, earning what, what we think God owes us or anything like that, but because it orients us toward the God who radically loves us. Now, if you missed any of the message last week, maybe part of it, or maybe you missed the whole thing, go to our website, ccpwallop.com, and you can click on either the YouTube link or the sermon podcast link, and you can get caught up there. This week, we are going to continue in the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to look at verses, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 through 16. And Jesus is shifting in these verses from talking to the whoever will kind of a thing, all right? He's, he's talking now specifically to his disciples, to those who have accepted the invitation. They've, they've stepped into the whoever will 
out of the crowd into the I am following you category, okay? So I'm looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 through 16. I'm reading out of the NIV. You can follow along in your Bible or your Bible app. Uh, turn there and, and we're going to read this. It's a shorter passage today. Uh, but here we go. Jesus opens up in verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. That's key. That's important. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they, these, these people persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's key to what we're going to be talking about this morning. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it up on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I love the way one commentator has summed up this section, and I, I really can't put it any better than, than just to read what, what they wrote. Here it is. The outcome of distinctive discipleship is intended to be that other people will notice and though sometimes they may respond with cynicism and persecution, ultimately the light will have its effect and they will recognize and acknowledge the goodness of the God who is its source. Disciples, therefore, must be both distinctive and involved. In other words, they've got to be other but they've also got to be in. Neither the indistinguishably assimilated, in other words, those who look, smell, taste, feel just like the culture around them, neither the indistinguishably assimilated nor the inaccessible hermit, those people who have completely withdrawn from culture and situation and life that's happening all around them, in the world around them, Neither of these two extremes will fulfill the mandate of these challenging verses. In these verses, Jesus is calling us to be in the world, but not of the world. We are called to follow Jesus in the world, right where we are at. This is the new normal, to follow so closely to him that he is changing us and we, in, a, in, in return, are changing the world around us. Anyone who has accepted Jesus' gracious, loving invitation to follow him with their whole lives, those who are true disciples, true followers of Jesus, have a particular purpose. If you are a Christ follower, you have a particular purpose. If you are considering being a Christ follower, you need to understand that as a Christ follower, there is a particular plan and purpose for your life, which is to be put on display to make 
the God who has radically loved us so dearly known to put him on display in all things and in all ways in every aspect of our lives. And that is going to take some intentionality and and some things that may be uncomfortable for us. So I want to look at these things that Jesus is talking about and how we live the new normal. Number one on your outline, living the new normal is to live expecting and embracing persecution. Living the new normal means that we, we expect and we embrace persecution. We embrace hardship. We embrace being shunned by people, being spoken evilly of, being, uh, uh, being maligned and misinterpreted. We, we actually embrace those things. This is an uncomfortable reality that flies in the face of the world and the culture we live in. You guys, as we scroll through Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, you will find all kinds of opinions and things stated, whether it's with COVID-19 and masks and, and, and all of that, or it's, it's in regard to other issues about the way that the culture engages in, in, in activities or with certain people groups or, or, even, or anything else, really. Parenting. Um, you know, what, what car you should buy. I mean, just there's a myriad of things. And, and the way that the world works around us is that if you do not line up with the prevailing opinion, then you are shunned. You are attacked. The world goes on attack. You, the, it is no different for those of us who follow Jesus. Because Jesus has to say some, some radically different things about how life works. And about what is most important. So that the very nature of, of being a Christ follower means that we are other than the, than the prevailing wisdom and way of the world. And so we have to expect that, we're gonna, that there are going to be times of persecution that come our way. Here again is what Jesus said about this. Matthew 5, 11 and 12. He says, blessed, happy, fortunate, favored are you, you group of true disciples, you followers of me. When people, whether they are, Jesus is going to uh, define these people as religious leaders in particular, later on in the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about religious leaders in particular, but really the world in general, the culture in general. When people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, because you are identified as my genuine followers. He says, rejoice and be glad just because you're being persecuted. No, of course not. There are some really bad reasons to experience bad things and to be persecuted. All throughout the New Testament, we're, we're told, hey, be sure that if you're, you're receiving evil from the world around you, that it's for good reason and not bad reason. Not because you're a thief, not because you're a liar. You know, sometimes it's our wrong choices that get us into trouble with other people. But he says, if you are experiencing being maligned and spoken against and, and shunned and, and persecuted by the world around you because of me, you're blessed. 
Because great is your reward in heaven. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Not talking about just someday in in the distant by and by or anything, but because God has your reward in hand. He's able to give it at any moment, any time. He is with you. His eye is on you. His mind is on you. He is for you. He is with you right now. And nobody can take that away. For in the same way, he says, they, these people, persecuted the prophets who were before you. He puts his disciples in the very camp of the prophets, of people who were shunned and even killed because they spoke out and said, listen, you guys, we need to follow God. Here's what it looks like to follow God. And so he says that the community of believers is actually a a prophetic community, one that is declaring who God is, what God is like through their actions lived in the world. For these followers who have chosen to accept Jesus as an invitation to follow him with their whole lives, to, to leave their families and of origin and, and their livelihoods in favor of becoming part of Jesus's family and joining his mission, For these people, persecution and being misunderstood and maligned is part of the work they are being called to. Jesus says, expect it. Understand it's going to happen because this is how the world works. It attacks what is different. Don't run away from it. Embrace it. Not for its own sake, but because your reward is with God, who is your hope. Jesus lived this way himself. Later on in Matthew, in in chapter 10, verse 25, he says, it is enough for the student to be like their teacher. And he said that directly in the context of, of being persecuted and maligned and spoken against by the religious leaders. He said, if I experience this, you can expect to experience this as my followers. This is the way the world is going to work. As Jesus' followers, we have been called to live as our master and teacher lived, which includes a life of selfless love and obedience that is often accompanied by suffering as God puts himself on display through us, through our weakness. As we are living together, and we see this theme over and over throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament, to be honest. And this life requires us to have our hope only in Jesus, as opposed to our circumstances and the situations we encounter, and to live for God and others as opposed to living for ourselves. So let me ask you this, where is your hope? Is your hope in Jesus? Is your life oriented to living for, for God and for others? Or, or is your hope that something is going to work out in your favor? I know I find the times when, when, when I get into trouble, so to speak, it, it's when I, I, my hope is not in Jesus. It's in other things. Where is your hope? Because living Jesus' new normal is expecting in, and embracing the trials, the troubles, the persecution as we follow him every day. 
looking to him, hoping in him. That's number one. That's the first thing. Number two, living the new normal means our lives point to God. Okay? Living in the new normal means that our very lives are pointing to God. Every aspect of them. If we are engaged in living what we've just looked at, okay, then we have to live with the understanding that our lives are not for or about ourselves. I once had a, a, a couple in my office, this was years ago, I had a couple in my office coming to me for premarital counseling. They wanted me to perform their wedding ceremony and they, they wanted to get some good tools. They wanted to learn how to do things well in their relationship. Uh, so they wanted all this great advice. But at one point in our, in our beginning interview, the, the guy said, but I don't want you to tell me how I need to change how I'm living right now. He wanted his cake and eat it too. He wanted me to give him all of this good stuff, but he didn't want the, the requirements of, of how he needed to live in the now. He wanted to continue in the way that he was doing life. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 13 through 16. He said, you are the salt of the earth. Now, the salt, we need to understand that Jesus is talking about had all kinds of really good uh, benefits in, in the ancient world where there was no refrigeration. You could rub salt into meat and it acted as a preservative. All right. So meat would actually last longer. You could even use it in certain soils as fertilizer. Of course, salt also seasons things. So it, it adds flavor to things. So Jesus is thinking in these broad terms with the salt. He says, you all, you community of disciples of, of followers are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under foot. Now, real salt, true salt can't actually lose its saltiness. Jesus is probably referring to a practice in, in uh, Judea where people would go to the, the Dead Sea, they would collect minerals that actually had salt in it, but often times the salt would be lost uh, in transportation, in weather changes, you know, rain washing it out, and so you would just be left with this, these, these rock uh, minerals, okay, that, that had no salt in them. And Jesus says, when, when you're not really salty, when you're not genuine salt, okay, what good are you except just to be thrown away? You can't be, there's literally no benefit to the world around you. Verse 14, you, again, all together, you community of believers are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. What is the purpose of light? It's to dispel the darkness. It's to illumine what is around so you don't trip and fall. Stub your toes. Have you ever done that in the dark? Verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine. And, and light here that Jesus is talking about is the light of, of a changed life. 
of everyday circumstances. If you're married, then 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 the light is is your changed life that that affects your marriage relationship. If you're a parent, it affects your parenting and your relationship with your kids. If you have a job, it affects it enters it's a changed life that affects the way you interact with your coworkers and your boss, with your friends, with your neighbors, with the rest of your family. All right? Every aspect of your life is changed. Jesus says, let that light shine before others that they may see your good deeds, this changed life of yours, and glorify your Father in heaven. And this is the first time in Matthew where we see this applied to the disciples, this term Father, talking about God. You're already part of the family, he says. Let your changed life, as you are so attached to me and God changes you, let your changed life put God on display so that everyone around you, even if they malign you, they will see your changed life, understand that it comes from God and glorify him. Jesus calls disciples to orient their lives toward being others being focused on and for others. You guys, if we are going to live in Jesus's new normal, our lives must point to God as we live in genuine relationship with him, with other Christ followers, and yes, the rest of the world around us. This living as salt and light, it's not about us producing this quality in ourselves or on our own, okay? We can't do that. This kind of life is realized only as we are in continued, prolonged relationship with the God who has radically loved us. Because we become what we behold. I remember being in high school. I was uh, going into my senior year, and it, at this time, it, country music was really popular. In my little town, it was really popular to kind of look country. Uh, there was a certain swagger that came along with that. Um, and, and I remember thinking, man, I want to look like that because I want people to like me. I want people to think highly of me and all of that. So I, I focused on this. I, I spent a bit of money getting boots and jeans and, and, and a hat even. And if you don't believe me, if you go to my high school... You'll you'll find a picture hanging in the hallway of me wearing my my uh, cowboy outfit. Right, I wasn't a cowboy, but I looked like one, kind of. I suppose a nineties, nineteen nineties version of one. Anyway, here's my point. I was focused on a particular look, and so for me, that look became a reality, at least on the outside. When Jesus talks about true disciples being salt and light, he's talking about them being these things because their focus, their intent is on their relationship with their master. They are literally in him. What makes disciples true disciples is that they are becoming like their master. They are attached to him. They see him. They are following him. They are obedient to him. They are becoming like him more and more. So we've got a question. What are you beholding? What is your focus on? 
Are you so attached to Jesus that he is changing you, making you the real salt and light within the world as an individual, but also part of, of a community of believers? Living Jesus' new normal means our lives point to God because we are focused on and sold out to him. That's the second thing. So, how do we do this? How, we, how do we move forward? I want to circle back to what we wrapped up with last week, which is number three. Living the new normal means being genuine disciples. So I'm going to ring this bell one more time, all right, of some practices that we can engage in that will help us to do this. Because being genuine disciples isn't about being perfect. It's not about having everything all together. It means that we are in the process of learning from our master, from our teacher, Jesus Christ. And that his life is becoming our life more and more as we engage in personal relationship with him, but also relationship with him through our relationship with other Christ followers around us. So once again, here it is. Remain in him. And here are some practices to help us to do that. Practice thankfulness. Use, again, use Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, just as you received this gift, you didn't earn it, you didn't earn him, you, God doesn't owe this to you, Jesus himself is a gift to us. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. This is all about remaining in Jesus and overflowing with thankfulness. How do we engage in thankfulness? We step back and we take time to think about how it is God has affected our lives. How, not just how he's affected us, as in like we just happen to get some kind of benefit by bumping into him or whatever, but how he, he has genuinely loved us. Thinking about his goodness, his mercy, and then thanking him for those things. This week, I, I've been practicing this on a more regular basis. Maybe some of you have been joining me in this process and doing it, and that's great. But I found one morning in particular that I didn't particularly feel like being thankful. There were other things on my mind, and I and, and so my emotions weren't thankful, but I, I entered into it, and I began to practice it anyway. And guess what? My focus became God, not my situation. My focus was, was placed on Jesus Christ and, and not my situation. I can be thankful despite what I feel around me because of the reality of who God is, how he has loved me. Practice thankfulness. Practice confession. God already knows everything that we've done, right? So this isn't about you know, surprising God, like the time that I, I confessed to egging a particular building in my community. Um, I felt bad about it. They didn't know that I had done it. They had no clue. Um, and, and I was feeling bad about it. And so I went and I said, yeah, I, so, so to, to calm my own, um, 
conscience. I, I, I went and I confessed about it. Um, confession does unburden our conscience, but it also is an act of humility where we get to practice understanding, guess what? I, I'm not the arbiter of life. There's, there's a standard outside of me, and guess what? I don't measure up to that all of the time. It's an act of humility. It's an act of aligning ourselves in relationship with God and the other people around us. Psalm 32 is a great one to meditate on. It's not that many verses long, but it opens up, blessed is the one whose sins, whose transgression has been forgiven, where God doesn't remember that anymore. Later on, he says, when I was going about life and I was not confessing things, I felt your hand heavy on me and, and I was burdened like, like in it, living in summer, in the summer heat, my strength is just sapped. But when I confessed, I felt life. I felt your presence. And, and later on, it says, I'm going to show you the way to live. Don't be, uh, don't be unaware. Don't be, uh, have understanding, unlike the, the horse and the mule who have to have a bridle in their mouth in order to turn them the way that they need to go. Don't be like that. Confess freely and you find life. Practice telling God about your failures. When, when, you, when you do something and, and you, you realize, hey, I've, I've done something and it's hurt somebody else, confess it, own up to it. There's thankfulness, there's confession, and there's prayer. Ask God. He wants to provide for us. And he knows, again, he knows what we need. But again, this is an act of humility. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, be anxious about nothing. In other words, don't live a life in anxiousness. Like, how am I going to make life happen? How am I going to bend it to my will? How am I going to make myself good enough? Don't be frantic about life in that way. Rather, in every situation, by prayer and petition, make your requests known to God. He, yes, he already knows what we need. But again, this is a freely going to him, saying, I need your help. I need you to fulfill these things. As we do so, God will change us. We will be oriented toward him and, and being humble in relationship with him. He will be able to change us as we do these things. Again, this, these aren't things to check off in boxes like if I do them enough or well enough, then God is going to owe me some kind of good life. That's not what this is. This is about bringing ourselves to the very feet of Jesus Christ and living his life out in humility. And I would say also celebrate. I want to add celebrate together. Celebrate God's goodness. It, do, you have, do you have a story about how God has affected your life? About what he has done to change your life? How he has met a need? How he has provided something for you. Tell others about it. Celebrate it. Maybe have a meal together. Practice thankfulness together. Practice confession together. Practice prayer together. Okay? Do this individually, but also do this in community. If we engage in these things, our lives are going to be oriented toward God. 
And we will find as we grow through them that we are becoming more and more like our master. How do you want to live? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love and your mercy. Thank you that you are with us, that you have called us your children because of your love, because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished, and not because we earn it or deserve it or anything like that. God, I pray that we would live in that reality and that that reality would bring freedom into our lives so that we aren't trying to measure up to something, but simply living in relationship with you as we are walking in the world, as we are being other in the world, as we are being oriented toward you and toward others around us. Give us the strength by your spirit to live this way, we pray. Now, maybe you're watching or listening to this message and and you haven't yet begun your life as a Christ follower, but you want to. I'm going to say a prayer. Just make it your own. Father, I want the life of Jesus. And I want the life that happens in the community of your followers. Accept me. I accept you. Give me your life. Give me Jesus. God, for anyone who made that prayer theirs, I ask that you would visit them. I ask that you would fill them with your spirit as you promised to, as as you're already doing. I just invite you to do that so that they will experience your living presence and your love right now, right where they are at, in the middle of whatever circumstance or trial or triumph or tragedy or excitement and joy that they are experiencing right now. Let them encounter you. And for all of us, God, again, help us to be focused and oriented toward you and this other life, this new normal that Jesus brought. We love you. And we thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you guys, thank you for being with us this morning. Go this week in the knowledge that God loves you relentlessly, radically, that Jesus has secured for you life with God and that God gives you his spirit so that you can walk and live as his children. I look forward to seeing you next week.